Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. That's Yen Schiphol. And that's Steve Jones. And Yen's today on the podcast, we have an artist named Casey. She just goes by her first name, Casey? Casey? Yes. And uh, she opened for Eric Hutchinson at the Hot Monk in Novato uh, on uh, his recent stop here. That was a good show. Yeah, yeah, it was a uh, it was a lot of fun. It was great to get to see Eric again, and, uh, and yeah, you got to uh, you actually got to participate in that interview. Not, I did. Not in this yeah. one, but was that the first interview for the, of the year for me? I think I, so. I think it was your first one of the year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know you're starting to starting a trend, so we'll we'll see, we'll see. We're gonna get to two. We're gonna get to two. Hopefully, hopefully we get to two before sometime. You know, before six months pass. Okay, that's the end's commitment right there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. KC, you know what? Um, that has nothing to it's, do with uh, on stage. There was a KC something. That's not the same person, right? No, no. So. Uh, he, so, so the the promoter of the uh, the show was Casey Turner. Uh, oh, right, 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 Casey Turner. And this is Casey, as in C A S E Y. So, oh, not like the initials. No, exactly. You're doing great. You know, I'm doing great. See, I was confused. I was so confused there for a second because when you said Casey, I'm like, this, you know, boom! I had a vision of the the, the, the screen or the, uh, the 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 stage, but I knew that had nothing to do with. Uh, with Casey, but now that you actually spell out her name, um, totally makes sense. Yes, I'm. I'm glad we. I'm glad you're all caught up. We're good here. I'm totally caught up. I'm totally clear. Yeah. So Jens, you had a story for uh, for us on the pod here today. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. Yes. So um, in an earlier pod, I was talking about my vacation to Aruba. I think we talked about that. Yes. Um, so. Uh, I got a question for you, Steve. Um, so yeah, so this is a story about an Uber driver that we had in Hollywood, Florida. Okay. So on our flight over there from the Bay Area, we had to transfer planes in Fort Lauderdale. This is a um, question? Or? But it was like an overnight layover. So we got a hotel um, in Hollywood, Florida, which is like really close to the airport um it also happens to be really really close to the stadium where they had the super bowl and we were there the, by totally by accident the, the night before uh the super bowl you had no idea yeah we was, had no yeah. idea right so we had to get up really early the next morning um to go to the airport to catch our our flight um and we got a a hotel that was super close to the beach and it was just this beautiful huge 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 florida beach with this big boardwalk and everybody was like up really early and walking up and down this you know this really big pedestrian path and um i was like wow man this is really cool i've never been here this is really neat so we were just out there um my wife and i waiting for our uber driver to show up and um Steve, before I tell the story, have you ever had an experience with either an Uber driver or a Lyft driver or someone that was somehow memorable, either like in a positive way or a negative way or just a weird way? I don't know that I really have had any outstanding Uber stories. I mean, but my Uber experiences are limited also. I mean, I've 
uh, I only in the past probably six, eight months have uh, started using the the app myself in any capacity, uh, you know, so. Um, right, right, right. Yeah. You have too many occasions where you find yourself so intoxicated at the bars that you have to call an Uber. That's not, 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 not frequent for me, so. And, <laughs> and for all the so, times uh, that I do, I let someone else handle it, so. <laughs> right. Okay, so um, there have been a couple of experiences. I mean, I, I don't take Uber that much uh, either. Maybe, you know, half a dozen times a year. Right. But um, I have had a couple of interesting experiences, and this is definitely one of them. So the this Uber guy um, was supposed to show up in, like, a Volkswagen Jetta or something, right? Okay. So we're, like, looking out for this, you know, regular-sized car to show up. Yeah. Doesn't show up, but what does show up is this huge, like black limousine type car. That's, uh, it's like the kind of car. I mean, it's black, black, black. It is, it is um, like one of these cars that you would expect, you know, celebrities to be driven around in. I mean, it was nice. Okay. And our Uber driver gets out of it and says, "Hey, you guys, uh, waiting for your lift to the airport." Uh-huh. He was like super smooth and like really cool. Had a super thick accent, and he was like way chill, right? And we said, "Oh, hey, yeah, 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 you're an Uber driver. What happened to the Volkswagen?" Yeah. He said, "Oh, yeah, yeah. I meant to tell you guys that. I meant to text you that. But, <laughs> you know, kind of forgot to do that. But don't worry about it." Was there anything uh, about this I that made you think you were going to be kidnapped or taxi limo service and? Um, you know, you let me borrow this for the day. Yeah, no, nothing about this that made you feel like you were going to be kidnapped or anything, huh? Right, and you start to wonder uh-huh. what's going on. Yeah. Right? On one side, it's like, nice upgrade. Sure, yeah. For, right? And in the on other, side, it's like, you know, things that are too good to be true probably yeah. usually is, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, okay, is it going to be in the paper, like, you know, Californians missing in Florida, you know, last scene at blah, blah, blah. Yeah, famous uh, podcaster, Bobby. you know, missing uh, from uh, limo <laughs> ride to yeah, exactly. Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Limo found with blood matching DNA, body parts, and swamp with alligator prints, you know. Yeah. Or whatever the hell they had there. So, anyway, this guy's like super chill, and he's this big um, guy from uh i'm trying to remember from where he's from i think it was jamaica so you've got those you know you've got that thick like accent sure and um and uh and i'm trying to like describe he has like this booming kind of deep voice and um he has this very particular way of pronouncing things that on one hand is really cool on the other hand it's like you really have to ask him constantly I'm sorry. What did you say? I'm right. Sorry. Say that again. <laughs> you have to pay close attention. Yeah. So, so then I remembered. Oh my god! I got to go back to the uh, room real quick, um, and and grab something. So I left, and by the time I got back, um, he told my wife that he was going to go to the beach and take some pictures. Right. So he's over there, like with his camera, and he's like taking pictures of the beach and the people and like the in the ocean and the waves with no sense of like urgency that we have to go catch a plane. Right, right. <laughs> plane is the farthest thing from his thought. Okay. So he finally comes back. He's like, oh, right. Yeah, I've never been here. I've only been in the country for a couple of days and hanging out with my friend and I'm gonna, gonna get this taxi service running and, you know, gonna 
start my life here in Florida and I really, really love it here. It's an amazing, amazing place. I love Florida, man. It's so nice and relaxing and beautiful and awesome. And it just goes on and on and on. And the night before, uh, we had an Uber driver drive us to the hotel from the airport and he was like, I hate Florida. I hate Spanish. I am so sick of all these Spanish speaking people. I want to go someplace and speak English, you know? Yeah. So this, <laughs> yeah, like the opposite. this is the other yeah. side of the coin here, huh? Yeah. Perspective on things. Uh, anyway. So, um, so we get in the car and we're just kind of talking to him and we're just chuckling to ourselves. You know, this is just this hilarious guy who, um, you know, is giving us a free upgrade and we drove, you know, he just, he drove us to the airport and dude, I think he thought he was going like 80 miles an hour <laughs> on the residential streets. He must've been going like 15, maybe 20 miles an hour. Oh yeah. And then, and then once he got on, on more of a kind of a highway type road, uh, where you could go, you know, like 45, he was like, mm, you know, he's going a little faster. He's like going 30. <sighs> And it was so clear. I mean, I was trying to talk to him and talk to him and, you know, find out more about him. And, dude, this guy, bottom line, was wasted. He was baked, he huh? Was so yeah. fucking stoned. Yeah. He was so stoned. I couldn't even believe it. I was just laughing to myself, thinking, oh, my God, <clears throat> this is funny. <clears throat> and I really hope my wife isn't freaking out because she already has a hard time in cars and to have a stranger be stoned <clears throat> driving her somewhere yeah yeah <laughs> it'd be really freaky but i mean what's the worst that could happen we've got this huge wide streets we have this car that's like a tank he's going uh -huh. really slow if he crashes into something I, you know it's not gonna be a real big deal yeah you, you could hop out while the car's moving and yes exactly. <laughs> walk alongside it the bags the car's still going it's okay <laughs> The big thing I was worried about that is that um, he, since he was new in the area, he couldn't really figure out his GPS thing. Mm. You know, it was telling him exactly where to go, but he was, you know, too wasted to kind of understand yeah. it. So there were times where he was about to go the wrong way. We kind of had to like remind him, no, no, it's over there. See that big sign that says airport? Yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't want to be paid in dollars. He wanted to be paid in good feels, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we, we gave him a tip. We, yeah. Um, we gave him a little bit of a, uh, a you know, a, a tip, but um, but um, my biggest concern was that I don't know that we just wouldn't get to the airport. Yeah, we miss our plane. Yeah, but you. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. So yeah, I've had a couple of weird experiences. Uh, they've all been very interesting. I think sure. They were really super negative, but yeah, stone Uber drivers. That's that's where it's at right there. Still yeah. Uber drivers. You, I love Florida. You made it to your flight, though, huh? We made the flight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks to this guy, we made the flight. Ex excellent news. Um, <laughs> well, I'll tell you something that I made um, this past weekend, uh, and that is seventy pounds of duck sausage. What? Yes. Seventy pounds. Yes. Uh, so you made seventy pounds of duck sausage. Yeah, me and and, and the guys made uh, made seventy pounds, right? So. Um, so our buddy Joe couldn't make it. Um, he had to, he had some plans, but he was providing like 40% of, uh, of the duck for the, uh, you know, for the sausage making. So we, we picked up the, uh, the duck with, uh, from him and went to, uh, my other friend John's house and, uh, to make the sausage. And it was an all day event, man. Uh, it was, uh, 
uh, we started at like nine o'clock and, uh, I mean, we finished at like five, um, with a, with a lunch in between and wow. Yeah. Did a couple I mean, of, it must've been like, uh, um, like an assembly line. I mean, 70 yeah. pounds. Yeah. We had, day. we had four guys, um, and we, you know, we worked really well together. We each, I mean, uh, rotated through different kind of, uh, portions of, you know, of the process from, you know, from make, you know, I soaked the casings and, mm. uh, and, and made sure those were clean and ready to, uh, to mixing the uh, the duck and the pork and the Italian seasonings and uh, and uh, kind of mixing that up and grinding it, taking it through a double grind, um, and then um, you know and then filling up the casings with the with the brats. I mean, we we had stacks of sausage. I mean, uh, was is like, there a machine that like squishes the meat into the casings, or do you do that by yep. hand? Or yeah, so you have a you have a machine that uh, that uh, that you put the you know the meat through and um i mean and you you crank the the machine and like hold the casing on there and kind of you have to hold the you have to kind of get all the casing onto this like you know d- penis shaped uh thing you, you put like a rubber on the penis and uh you know and then and then you're cranking it and feeding uh feeding the, the uh, all of the meat through into the uh um uh, into the casings and you got it's it's a craft to get it the right filling you know the right size uh, and not go too fast but go fast enough where you're feeding it through and then you twist it and gotta be consistent i imagine so it's not all lumpy exactly yeah in there yeah yeah so okay so so did you so the first person in the assembly line so to speak was that the person that was literally taking the ducks and cutting them open and getting the meat out of them, or had well, that been done already? That that already needed to be done beforehand. I mean, that was a okay. pre pre step. So we had to. Um, we had to to rinse off uh, some of the, the duck and then put it, you know, into a bucket um, with a. Uh, you know, with the pork as well and kind of mix that up. Make sure you had about, about 50, 50, you know, uh, ratio to duck to pork. So, um, yeah, so the, the duck had already been sifted through, but we did have to go through it, you know, again. And some of it, you know, there was, there were some feathers still in there and, and two BBs were found, uh, in, in the process as well. So, um, so you know a little quality assurance process that uh that we went through but man it is so rewarding and i love it because it's like it's like the christmas after uh the season i i look forward to it so much because it's so rewarding and it's like you see all this you know meat that you're going to be eating for for months you know ahead and yeah you know yeah i think a lot of people just don't really understand how like good the food tastes or how mm. meaningful it is to eat it when you've harvested it yourself it and, and yeah you know and you're in your you spend time you know with your buddies or whomever and you've, yeah. you've gone through all the labor of like presenting it to other people i mean that it's so much mm-hmm. different than just going to the grocery store and buying something oh totally <laughs> yeah totally you know and i mean you just when you're eating it, you have an appreciation for it. And I'm, got, yeah. you know, and I have it in, you know, in my freezer. So I have, I don't know, I probably have like 15 pounds or so myself, uh, for myself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, I'll spread it throughout the year and, you know, and I'm 
protective about it. You know, I don't want it to go to waste. I, you know, I'll, but I'll, I'll share it at the same time, you know, I'll share it with friends or, uh, you know, have some with, uh, with my girlfriend or whatever, you know, some maybe give the kids a little bit so that there's some appreciation there, uh, for that. But, um, you know, you don't want it to go to waste because it's, you know, it's, uh, homemade and you exactly. put a lot yeah. of... It's like, if you, if you, if you look at it and it's like, you know, if this was any other food, I might just throw it out, but I'm wrapping that up, you know, putting it back in the fridge because I know that took like 20 minutes to make. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that little bite-sized leftover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so it was just a, a really exciting day and... Um, you know, I don't know. Did I send you pictures of the, the, the final, like, I mean, this is a, a stack. Oh, of, wow. No, that a, is amazing. Yeah. A stack of wow. just, uh, you know, packages because we vacuum seal it after you're all done and we put it all on the table and it, you know, it was a big stack of, uh, mm-hmm. so a lot of sausage. <laughs> nice. So, um, <laughs> And of course, we we cooked we cooked two up and then uh, and then t- uh, tested our work as well, and it's just the really rewarding way to end it. So uh-huh. um, nice. So it was a lot of fun. So yeah, cool. But, well, good for you guys. Yeah. So good for, good for making the effort and everything. You know, getting together and and doing this as a team. Yeah. So let, we're gonna bring Casey on in here, uh, but before we do, we're gonna play a song from her set at. Uh, the Hot Monk Tavern in Novato. And uh, so this is a song called Hold Me. Here it is. Hey, everybody. This is Casey, and you are listening to Concert Pipeline. <laughs> 2 a.m. You hit me up. Wonder where I am. And I'm not strong enough to be tough So now you're downstairs Now I've let you in And now your hands in my hair And I no longer care all the times that I swear Wow, wow, just like for a little 
don't pretend you mean it this time I'll pretend that I will be Steve Jones. Hi, Steve. How are you? Hey, doing good. Doing good. You having a good day? I'm having a great day. I just announced that I'm going back on tour with Eric. I've been excited to announce to everybody. So I literally just announced that like a minute ago. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. I, I had seen your uh, note on social media that you had a big announcement this week. So uh, I was going to ask you about that. So Yes. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was kind of what I was hinting at. Um, so, so what, where does the uh, second leg of the tour go for you uh, with Eric It's Hutchinson? the East Coast, which is awesome because that's where I'm from. Um, that's where I have all my family and friends. And I also was just on tour with Stephen Kellogg on the East Coast. So I've just, I just played a bunch of those cities. I actually were repeating a lot of the venues, which is funny. I was just at a lot of these venues. But that's awesome because hopefully it gives, you know, the fans I met on the last tour the opportunity to come out again and this time come to see me, um, which is, you know, something that, you know, every artist hopes to be able to start our building. So, so Casey, so let's let's go back uh, to when you were a kid. I know you've liked music and been into music and singing since you were a, a little kid. But tell me about the uh, music dynamic in your house growing up. Uh, the music dynamic was non-existent. <laughs> we listened to a lot of James Taylor, I should say. <laughs> it was like that and Radio Disney that my we, my sister and I wanted to listen to. Um, no, my parents are not musicians at all. Actually, to the point that when I was about 10, probably right around then, I went to my mom and I said, I want to take singing lessons. And she was like, you mean like you want to join choir? And I was like, no, I want to take like singing lessons. <laughs> She's like, they don't have lessons for that. <laughs> and I was like, no, they do. Like Sally in school is taking them. And my mom was like, oh, okay. And then I took them. Um, I actually funnily think, I think it was with a student from Berkeley College of Music, which is so funny because that's where I ended up. Um, but, you know, my parents were always incredibly supportive, but they they had no idea where my interest in songwriting came from. Um, and, you know, at the beginning of my career, you know, it would have been really convenient to have parents who, uh, you know, had some influence in the music industry or, or knew anything about music at all. But I have to say now that I and established musically, um, and that's the thing I know how to do. It's been so helpful that my, my mom has an MBA and my dad's a lawyer. So as any musician can tell you, that's, that's where you get caught and that's where you get confused. And having both of my parents as resources on the business side has actually been a huge asset for me as, a, as I've been building my business. 
Did they ever push you to uh, go a different direction? I mean, it's a very unstable business uh, choice, right? So. <laughs> Actually, quite the opposite. Um, I'm very lucky. You know, I went to this boarding school um, for high school. I'm a very academically inclined person, naturally. It's always just been kind of how I am. And I went to this boarding school where, you know, you did like five hours of homework a night and most of my friends went to, you know, Ivy's and everybody goes on to law school. And, um, I was on that track, you know, that's, an, that's another passion of mine and another, another way that I express myself, um, is through academia. But, you know, I was coming down to it and I was like applying to business schools and I was applying to Berkeley and my dad and mom looked at me and said, you are happier on stage than you are when you're taking a test and we want you to be happy and my dad said to me Casey you can go to law school at 30 but it will be very difficult to be a pop star at 30 and basically my parents were able to give me um, some perspective that's incredibly difficult to have when you're 17 years old that life isn't about um about keeping up in the rat race with the people around you, but life is about finding your own happiness. And additionally, they were able to give me the perspective that youth is fleeting and that there's a lot of time in life, uh, but there's very little time to be a young female pop star. (laughs) And so um, my parents have always just encouraged us to pursue what they believed would make us happiest and as my mom said to me I think a couple years later it might have been while I was having a freak out about my career (laughs) my mom said um Casey if we thought you were bad we would have found a way to tell you (laughs) (laughs) would you would you be able to take that would you be able to hear it oh my god I think there was a large part of me that really wanted them to tell that to me for so long it would have been so much easier if they were just like you know what Casey you're bad we don't think you can do this and I would have just been like okay I guess I'm gonna go to law school you know I had a meeting recently with um enough, <laughs> a law professor at Harvard uh-huh. <laughs> who is a kind of someone I consult with he's a music music lawyer and you know he said to me I think your problem is having too many choices And I think that was something that followed me around in my youth was watching all these kids that I went to high school with go on to Harvard and Yale Law and all these things and almost seeing like another version of my life play out on social media. Um, But that has also really affected how I talk to my fans about social media because I have the experience just like everyone else of, of looking at other people on social media and comparing myself to them, whether that be my musician friends that I met through Berkeley or that my academically inclined friends that I met through high school. Um, and what I've really, in my old, old, decrepit age, right. <laughs> been trying to come to is, um, is learning how to just judge myself by my own timeline and no one else's. Yeah, and so you feel you were able to pretty well put aside where you were, where the world was, it would expect you to go and kind of take your own path in the direction that you, uh, you have a passion for and you feel is right. Well, you know, it's funny, like, sometimes, you know, I get 
all I don't know a single musician who hasn't experienced this or anyone who pursues the arts. Um, you know, I'm very lucky that I don't get snide comments from my immediate family and that we, after, you know, social gatherings where people have said a bunch of rude things to me, <laughs> whether intentionally or accidentally, I can go back into the car with my family and laugh about it afterwards. I think it would be very isolating if I had no one to laugh about it with. Um, but absolutely, you know, people still make comments to me about, you know, when I'm, when I, how, how much longer am I going to keep this up for? And, you know, I, you, I better hope that I like this cause I'm losing, I'm running out of time to turn, turn it around. And, um, these things that people say out of kindness and out of wanting what's best for me. Um, but you know, I have to have the confidence that I actually have more information than them in this discussion that I know what I want and I know what my daily experiences are like and that even though they have uh, the best intentions, they don't know what's best for me. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that you uh, mentioned confidence because as I uh, saw you open up for Eric Hutchinson on this tour, like uh, uh, you, sh- you came across as pretty confident in your, uh, your abilities, and, you know, which is not something you see in uh, everybody who takes a stage, but in the way that you present yourself and the way you converse with the, the crowd and, uh, and kind of tell your stories, like there's a, there's a confidence. Tell me where that came from. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, you know, it's funny. I've done I've done a lot of reflecting on that <laughs> um, because you know one of the things I confidently speak about on stage is my anxiety disorder, and those things to people can seem to be a contradiction. Um, but there's something about stage and the, the pressure you're under in those moments. You have to be present in the moment. You can't worry about the future and you cannot worry about the past because you just have to get it done in the moment. And for me, because of that, stage has always been such a release because I get my anxiety from the pressure I feel of all the work I've put behind me and all the work I have ahead of me. And so there's something about stage that releases me from that pressure. And, um, Similarly, I think that I've always had a really big personality. I've always been really loud. I've always been really talkative. Can you tell from this interview? Right. <laughs> um, and that, as a young woman, was something I was punished for socially quite a bit, especially as I look back in my life. Um, I see how much the world tried to course correct me to make me a little bit less loud and a little bit less funny and a little bit less smart um, to fit in to the role that I was supposed to have. And the funny thing about stage is that you're not supposed to be a little less. You're allowed to be as big as you are. And that is something that is praised instead of found to be uncomfortable. And um, I think those two things together that it kind of releases me from my anxiety and that I feel accepted for who I actually am um, really has driven me over and over to make the choice to pursue music as my life passion. And uh, kind of along those lines, I mean, you aren't just satisfied uh, doing this for yourself. You really want to give back to, to kids a lot, right? And uh, and focus on the anti-bullying stuff and building self-confidence in other kids. Tell, tell me, first off, kind of where that uh, idea came from for you and, and then kind of as well, how you've gone, gone about that. So I run an anti-bullying program in schools. It's a concert 
Um, and it uses some of the songs that I wrote when I was younger, when I was in middle school and high school. And the songs I was, I was writing were about my life and my life at the time was, you know, growing up and learning who I was and, um, unfortunately getting picked on a little bit and all of these experiences that I think a lot of us have, um, and it's funny, I, I, I created this anti-bullying program by accident. <laughs> I was actually teaching a songwriting class. I was 18 and I had just been accepted to Berkeley to study songwriting. And my old music teacher, um, my old seventh grade guitar teacher asked me to come back to his current guitar class of seventh graders and, and teach them about songwriting and how playing the guitar had affected my songwriting. And as I was putting together a little presentation, I kind of asked myself, you know, which of my songs are most relevant for a bunch of seventh graders? <laughs> and I came up with these songs that weren't about boys or whatever, but they were about growing up and identity and self-expression. And um, I, I used those songs to teach songwriting. And I was and to teach the songwriting aspect, I was telling the stories behind the song, where I was in my life, why I felt the need to write that down. And it's funny because the kids really didn't care very much about my, uh, my lyric suggestions or how to put melodies together. Uh, what they really cared about was the stories. And... Uh, it was so successful that my te we were like, wow, I should really do this for the whole grade. And then it was, wow, I should do this for the whole school. And wow, I should do this for all the other schools in the town. And over time, um, the it developed into this story of my life that is captured in the songs that I wrote when I was younger. And I use them as metaphors to talk to the students about what they're going through but because I didn't sit down as an adult and try to remember what that felt like because I actually captured those feelings at 15 the kids I think they tell me <laughs> don't find the show like preachy and annoying yeah. <laughs> it's just me getting up there being vulnerable like you saw on my tour with Eric my work in schools has very much influenced my set as an artist I talk more than most artists you'll see but that's because through doing this anti-bullying program I've learned that that's how new fans engage with your music is if you give them a little bit of the story behind where you were and what thoughts you had and emotions you had it allows them to actually connect their lives to the music even more yeah and, and so how far is this uh tour how uh, how many like how far have you reached with the schools and tell me about some of the impact that you've uh, been able to have with it Wow, I've been have been all over. <laughs> I've actually played for over forty thousand students, which is kind of a crazy number when I when I think about it. Um, over, you know, my gosh, one hundred and fifty schools. I um, I've been all over the country. Actually, did I was on tour in Europe as an artist, and I did did a show over there, which was really cool. Um, and you know, it's been like it's just been amazing to be honest. I was actually recently on the Kelly Clarkson show, her new talk show, um, which was such an honor. And I was talking to her about my anti-bullying program and how that's influenced me as an artist. And it was really cool. Like, you know, they had students send in video messages about how they've been influenced by me coming to my, their schools. And, you know, I would say that like 90% of the kids are normal kids, you know, they're, they're getting picked on a little bit and they're obviously having confidence issues and going to the program makes them feel better and positive and strong and they identify with me and it's all a positive experience. But I would say at each school, there's about 10% of the kids that are going through something really serious at that time. 
um, you know, whether that be illness or um, really severely being picked on or, uh, you know, sexual identity, gender identity, what these, these experiences, and they're all different from what I experienced. But what the kids connect with is my vulnerability in speaking about what happened to me and they feel less alone in what is happening to them. And those have been the connections I've made that have really like straight up given me the strength to continue as an artist because being a fledgling artist is not easy because you work so hard and sometimes you have to go years without hearing feedback or how without hearing that your music has affected people um but through my anti-bullying program you know yes the kids are affected by my message and i'm so deeply proud of that um but they also affect me and hearing and being able to see people live connecting with my music and potentially you know having a larger impact on somebody's life than just just that concert but further into their lives as as it changes how they see themselves um has really given me the strength to continue down this road and that kind of built the you matter tour right like that's where you got the uh, i mean those kind of conjoined together yeah you know i um i started calling the program the you matter tour because of how much I felt that kids, kids seem to feel completely invisible. Um, I think, I think social media has had a really, really tough effect on students where they just see all these, the most beautiful, rich, privileged, apparently happy people in the whole world are flooding their senses at every moment of every day. And these kids look at themselves. Remember how much you like, (laughs) I think about me at 13 and I just think if I had had to look at Kylie Jenner's Instagram page, I'm like, I'm at a loft. Oh, (laughs) I can't even, can't even relate. I mean, it's just, I mean, what the kids have to go through these days. I mean, my my daughter's nine and I'm holding out as long as possible before getting her a phone and all of that. Right. Right. Absolutely, because because it's really difficult, and so not you'll notice on my social media. Um, I actually just posted about Eric and I, me adding these tortoises with him, and I included this at the bottom of my post. I put a hashtag highlight reel at the bottom of all my Instagram posts, and I don't really explain it on the posts. But what I do when I'm at schools is when I'm talking to the students about social media. I'm like, listen, social media is awesome. Like, it's really fun to see what your friends are up to and have a way of expressing yourself and like all this stuff. It's all good. The problem is, is when we look at our actual life, which is our average, we're just looking at our average life. Usually you're, you're at your average and you look at social media, which is other people's highlights and you think, wow, I'm so bad compared to them. But really your highlights are just as good as their highlights. The problem is you're bored when you're looking at your phone. So you're at your average and they're feeling awesome when they're posting and they're at their highlight. And so when I post, I post hashtag highlight reel. And that is this subtle reminder between me and the students I meet at schools that this is just a highlight. This isn't what my life is like every day. You know, like I posted that about Eric today and it was so exciting, but I had the flu two days ago. <laughs> no no pictures of that, right? <laughs> and I didn't, post any, I didn't post any photos of the flu because no one wants to know my posts about the flu. And so, um, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of how I'm trying to at least not contribute to the problem with my social media. Right, right. Um, and so, um, 
taking it a step kind of, I, I don't know, in a different direction, but tell me where the idea for you came to just uh, go uh, present yourself as an artist with a, with a solo name instead of including your, your last name. <laughs> Honestly, it came from my experience in my anti-bullying program. I spent five years having kids yell out, how do you spell your last name? <laughs> Straight up. Just for like five years, kids were yelling it at me. And so, um, I, you know, we actually, I played around with like different names and weird names and all that stuff. And then my songs are so personal to my own life. I write my songs about my own life. That going by a name that wasn't my name felt really weird. I didn't know if I could do it. I think if I was just working as like a writer, and I was just like, oh, what should we write about today? And I was writing about random stuff. I might be able to, but like, how can I go up and talk about my anxiety disorder and the song I wrote, you know, in tears in my bedroom and then be like, hi, I'm, you know, I'm Cassie. It's like, no, I'm Casey. This is who I am. Um, and so we decided to kind of flip it on its head a little bit and play around with my handle. My handle is listen to Casey and that's my website and that's all my stuff and that's what's on stage with me. And that's what we share with people. Um, and instead of kind of, my name is Casey, you know, and I hope I get to the point in my career where when you look up Casey Music, I'm the person who pops up. Um, just like if you look up Adele Music, she's the person who pops up. Um, but for right now, instead of adding a fake last name that was easy to spell, we just decided to keep my name as it is and um, add a directive to my social media instead of being Casey I'm listen to Casey and, um, you know, see, see how that goes, see how that works. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds sounds like it's been working good so far. So that's that's pretty great. Um, so tell me, uh, tell me where you were at when you had vocal surgery. What was going through your mind in terms of your ability to continue to make music, and um, and what was that experience like for you? It's kind of full circle, actually, with this with this conversation. I was at the international anti bullying conference as a presenter. Um, and I was there and I, I was at like my little booth, you know, about my program and every 30 seconds somebody was coming up and I was making my pitch about my program and why I should come to their school. And every 10 minutes or so I had to go and do like vocal exercises. My voice was so exhausted from speaking. And it was, this was after years of starting to lose my voice and lose my voice. Long story short, we now know that I had severe tonsillitis. Um, I have a pretty strong voice. If you remember from my live show, I'm pretty loud. I can hold those for a long time. And I kept getting misdiagnosed with my my tonsillitis because you're not supposed to be able to sing like I could sing with tonsillitis. And so I went years with acute tonsillitis before I was finally um, but finally diagnosed. And in that time, I, I developed nodules. So I got rid of the, tonsil, uh, the tonsils, but the nodules were still there. And I was at this anti-bullying conference, and I was so upset because I was performing, too. I was performing my one of my songs I sing in my program at, like, the end, right before they, like, brought Monica Lewinsky out. She was the keynote. So I was, like, introducing her, and it was, like, this big moment, blah, blah, blah. And... I had to go on vocal rest for like a full day to guarantee that I could sing that song. And my mom looked at me and she said, cause my mom helps me run my anti-bullying program. She's a complete hero. <laughs> um, but so she was there with me and, and she looked at me and she said, Casey, you have two options. You can get vocal surgery or you can go to law school because you can be a lawyer who can't sing, but you can't be a singer who can't sing. Right. And it like, 
really hit me that like, okay, this was one of those moments. Am I going to get back on the Harvard train? Am I going to go back to my old life or am I going to double down and stay on this train? Cause I'm not doing either right now. And I was on the air, air uh, the flight home. I think we, I think we were in Nashville. I can, it all, it all meant together. And I was on the flight home and I was listening to Sam Smith's new album. This was a couple years ago. And I just was having the absent thought to myself that he sounded like amazing. And I realized that that was the album he had recorded four months after surgery with the doctor I was considering surgery with. And I landed and opened my phone and called the surgeon. Um, and so, you know, I, I was, you know, very lucky that I was able to, I just, I basically moved back in with my parents for a month because the recovery is brutal. Um, but it was the best decision I ever made. And and straight up, if somebody said to me, this is what you have to do every five years, I would do it. That's how big of a change it was. Um, I, I now have the voice I had when I was 17, but the experience and skill as of a 27 year old. Um, and it's, it's, I really think, put me in a position that instead of being filled with fear at looking at 13 dates with Eric Hutchinson coming up, I'm filled with excitement and joy because I know I can do it. Yeah. And and so at what point did you uh, know that you uh, wanted to be a, a vocalist as well, that you wanted to be a singer um, in addition to the, the songwriting? Because you didn't see yourself that way originally. Well, you know, I love to sing well before I was good at singing. (laughs) It's very convenient for everyone in my life that I ended up good at it. (laughs) One time I was like 12 and I was singing in my bedroom and my dad burst through the door with a broom and he was like, where is it? Where is it? And I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, well, you were screaming. So I assumed there was a bear in here. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Because he's a a jokester where I get it from. Um, But... I always loved to sing, um, but for me, singing was something that I, I didn't really like study, study, study singing until after my vocal surgery. That's when I really like, like an opera singer started studying singing. Um, before that, I would write my songs and I would spend hours and hours and pour my heart out. And my voice was my, was the way I was able to communicate my story to people but it was the story that I was communicating and that was what I put so much effort into that that was what I valued and um you know it was so interesting for me going on American Idol at such a young age I have to say I was genuinely shocked (laughs) to do as well as I did because like vocalist was not something that I that would not have been the thing I put at the top of my resume. And additionally, I was at Berkeley College of Music. I could have personally introduced you to like 300 people who are better singers than me yeah. <laughs> because everybody there is amazing. And so, um, you know, that has always for me been, um, you know, it's like it's like a basketball player. The, the basketball player works on their skills and their speed and their agility. They don't work at being tall, but the fact that they're six, eight is like very correlated to why they're a basketball player. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they wouldn't be a professional basketball player if they weren't working on their skills. They would just, but they would always be good at basketball sure. <laughs> just from being six, eight. And so that's how I view my vote being a vocalist is that, you know, for example, my tour with Stephen Kellogg, I got, 
severe bronchitis, um, a sinus infection, and I actually broke my rib from coughing so hard, which is crazy. Like I got an x-ray, like I broke my rib on tour from coughing. I was able to, I did, because I was actually, it was a joint tour. I went straight from my store with tour with Stephen Kellogg to a tour with Kate Vogel and Tyler Hilton. I'm actually wearing a Tyler Hilton sweatshirt right now. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I literally did seven nights in a row where I, I genuinely like should have been hospitalized. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you, you just pushed through. You're like, nope, I got this opportunity. I'm not oh, giving it, was it my up. First huh? tour. There's no way. I literally said that I would have, they would have to like, like chain me to a hospital bed to not go on the floor. It was my training with my vocal teacher since surgery that allowed me to get through that. And the our audience had no idea. Now, Kate and Tyler and Steven all knew because I would get backstage and start hacking up a lung. But on stage, no one had any idea. Yeah. And so that to me is the difference between being tall and being a professional basketball player is like you show up with that skill. So in those moments of pressure, you can carry through to the end. So that's, that's, you know, that's how I've adjusted my mindset about being a vocalist. Yeah. And, uh, and so you mentioned American Idol. So tell me, uh, about that experience. And like, I mean, did, did you, did you sign up for it or were you, were you nominated and uh, how did that go? Um, so it was, I think it's so funny, right? It was like a little baby back then. I was right. 21. Um, you know, I, I kind of like through the Berkeley grapevine, uh, was, it was suggested I go on the show and um, I flew to Omaha to be in one of their last auditions of the season. Um, and again, I mean, I, I I thought I would I thought I would probably make it to Hollywood. I didn't think I would make it as far as I did. Um, it was a really really eye opening experience. If we want to continue with the sports analogies, sure, go for it. Um, my 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 parents would be so proud. They're massive sports. <laughs> <teams>. <laughs> um, so I think that basketball is to a free throw as American Idol. Am I doing this right? No. Is to being a singer. I did horrible with these analogy questions in the SATs, so uh... I just confused myself. So this is how I'll say it. This is how I'll break it down. In basketball, there are a lot of different skills that make you a great basketball player. Yeah. In a free throw, you step up to the line and take a shot. And there are some people who are great at both, but there are some people who are amazing basketball players and are terrible when they get to that free throw line. Yeah. Some of the best basketball players in history have not been able to sink the shot when they step up to the line. There's a lot of pressure. Yeah. It's a, well, it's just, it's, it's just, it's just a very specific skill. Because yeah. conversely, there's a lot of people that would sink, sink, sink from the free throw line and could never play a game of professional basketball. And the same, I think, is true for American Idol. You know, I happen to have the kind of voice that is celebrated on these shows. I am a a free throw basketball singer. You get up there, you belt really loud, really high for a while, and everyone's like, woo! (laughs) But if you have a Bob Dylan-esque voice, if you have a voice that conveys emotion and depth and gravity through an entire album and can capture the room just with a few notes and all of these things, that might not be the voice that sticks out in a when they've seen 2,000 people in one day. Yeah. And so, again, American Idol was a great experience, but 
I walk through the industry, the music industry, and a lot of the skills that I see as being vital to succeeding as a musician in the industry in real life aren't what's on the docket on these TV shows. And so um, I really try to take my success there with a grain of salt because um, there's a lot of people that go through and have both, but just being good at shooting free throws doesn't mean that I deserve to be in the basketball game. And so, um, you know, I went and I did well (laughs) singing short bits of songs loudly. Um, But I want to make sure that I keep the pressure off on myself to be good at the whole game. Um, And so, you know, American Idol, I think, I I, you notice I've never gone on one of those shows again. Um, I've been invited to. Um, But I think that I want to focus on developing all my skills in the game not just leaning on the vocals itself yeah yeah and okay so tell me tell me about the eric hutchinson tour um experience like uh, did you guys hang out a, a lot while you were on the road did and uh, and how was how was touring the west coast for you it was really awesome. I've never, I've never toured the whole West Coast before. So that was, we started all the way up in Bellingham, Washington, which is right by the border, and we ended in Las Vegas on a Saturday night, which was pretty fun. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, you know, and him and the band—they were just so welcoming. I was just, um, I was just looking for a photo on my phone, and I opened my phone and found a about thirty selfies Eric took off himself on my phone when I was on stage, uh, which is pretty funny. I'll probably post a screenshot that at some point um but yeah like just really kind people um really welcoming i i so appreciate when you know uh these artists that have just been at this for so much longer than me um are are welcoming and give advice and you know are able to see me through the eyes of of compassion of when they started out um because i know you know that they've been at this for so long and they see so many different openers come and go um but i've been really lucky so far that everyone i've opened for including eric um has really made me feel like a part of the team um and that's why you know i was i was halfway through my tour with him on the west coast um when we got the news that I was also going to be included on the East Coast. So that just made me feel really validated and like they, they enjoyed having me out there. So so I hope that we, you know, have as much of a blast on the East Coast as we did on the West. Yeah, that's really awesome. Um, you've covered a couple songs as well uh, on this tour. You, co- uh, you have an Etta James cover. You've covered Over the Rainbow. Tell, tell me about your approach when you go in to cover a song. Hmm... Um, well you just listed two songs that are not currently viral on top 50 spotify Uh right right (laughs) conventional wisdom of what you're supposed to cover um i i find it interesting i i i i always try to make sure i'm not singing karaoke yeah um i don't think that that's really interesting for people um because again there are i could introduce you to 300 people who are better singers than me so if i'm getting up there and i'm just singing it exactly as the artist sang it uh what am i doing here <laughs> somebody could do this better than me so whatever um so what i try to do is make sure that um it's it's a song that sits with me in a um, emotional way as a, a song that like connects with me as a songwriter, um, as opposed to just connecting with me as a vocalist. And so that, you know, I hope that when you hear me sing a cover, um, it will have 
something to it that you've never heard somebody do with this cover before. Um, you know, I just released a cover of uh, Dolly Parton and Whitney Houston's song, I Will Always Love You. Um, and I did a like really weird R&B soul cover <laughs> of that song um, because I felt like there was a lot of room for expansion on the original production. So I kind of tried to go in with like a, a bit of a Berkeley brain and uh, look at it from more of a holistic music production and vocal performance angle um but sometimes just just me and some friends you know sitting around and trying to like i said with my at last cover i was trying to make my friends in the wedding band laugh on how how extra i would sing that song and sometimes those are the covers i end up with is a bunch of musicians sitting around trying to make each other laugh for how how weird and different we can change a very well-known song to be um and so i think you'll notice that with most of the covers that i've done yeah, uh, I will always love you. Uh, also, not in the top forty right now, but uh, nope. Yep. Until my single, Until hey, you, listen, yep. Whitney cover Dolly. Hopefully, yep. they'll be saying Casey cover Whitney. Let's try. Yeah, let's get it <laughs> get it trending, right? <laughs> well, well, Casey, thank you for taking the time today. Uh, definitely a great conversation. Enjoyed hearing about your uh, how you got to where you are right now, and the, the exciting new announcement that you'll uh, be uh, hitting the East Coast with Eric. Thank you so much. And can I let people know how to uh, find some info about me if they if they're interested? You sure can. So my website, as I mentioned earlier, is listen to Casey, like my name, C-A-S-U-I, listen to Casey.com. And um, you can find out all about my shows and all that cover I released and all my original songs. And additionally, on that website is a whole page dedicated to my anti-bullying program. Um, I'm actually planning my May-June tour for this anti-bullying program for this year, for 2020. And so if you have a middle school or high schooler that you think um, – could use use that kind of influence in their school. I, I would love to talk to you, uh, so please reach out to me. Hey, that sounds good. Well, Casey, uh, good luck on the tour and uh, and the, the school tour as well. I hope that goes really well for you. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. That was the interview with Casey here on Concert Pipeline. And Jens, that takes us to the final segment of the program. What is it? It is time, Steve, for some music news. That is right. Uh, so we each have a couple of stories that we want to chat through, uh, things that are going on in the music world. And uh, this first one, Jens, is about um, a little album by uh, ACDC that's uh, that's in the works. Um, and so... Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. ACDC is coming out with a new album? Whoa, whoa, Jens. You haven't heard? It's AC- not like a compilation of some other stuff, like it's new material? Uh, well, so, Jens, I don't know where you've been living because ACDC's new album is one of the worst kept secrets in rock and roll uh, with the band. Dang it, dude. I, I got to get out from under my rock. Got to get under that rock or uh, out from under it or whatever. <laughs> uh, um, the band has publicly uh, been tight lipped about the effort, but frontman Brian Johnson shared some details with Twisted Sisters D. Snyder. Um, Snyder appeared on Sirius XM's Trunk Nation last week to discuss the online petition to have ACDC perform next year's Super Bowl halftime show. And during the appearance, Dee shared that he learned some details about the album while out to dinner with Brian Johnson. This guy is yapping and probably talking about things he's not supposed to talk about, right? Right. Um, 
he said, uh, he told me lots of stuff and a lot of stuff that I don't want to say, uh, but we know from the photos and Brian confirmed it. They've been in the studio. They've been recording. Uh, the original, I don't say the original guys because a lot of them are gone, but I say the classic lineup is back together and there are some surprises, which I can't talk about regarding Malcolm Young that just had my jaw on the floor. I will say he will be present. So this is ACDC as we know and love them. Okay. So this is, yeah, this is really interesting because, um, uh, the uh, Axel Rose has been leading Guns N' Roses, right? Uh, has yes. been le- has been le- excuse me has been leading ACDC. He's he's also been leading, <laughs> leading, leading Guns N' Roses. <laughs> uh, but, oh my God. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, but Brian Johnson hasn't been a part of that because of his uh, hearing issue, uh, and he can't really perform live with them anymore. Uh, otherwise his hearing will be completely shot. So, um, but doing some stuff in studio might happen. And, and so I don't know, I'm excited for, uh, for what's to come from this album. Um, hopefully we get to hear something this year, right? Yeah, hopefully that's going to be really interesting because obviously the volume, you can't deal with the high, you know, the loud volume level. Right. But but when he sings, I mean, he's still got that screaming thing going on. So I wonder yeah. if he is just going to wear noise-canceling headphones or something and not hear himself and kind of do the whole Beethoven, like, Ninth Symphony thing where he just does it without being able to hear a thing. When you are the lead singer of ACDC, you throw caution to the wind, you live life on the edge. and you... Yes, right. Some of the things we love about that band. Yeah, yeah, and you get out there and do it, right? So that's right, man. Highway to hell. Yeah. So, uh, so that's the story. I mean, we'll see what's uh, what's to come with the new ACDC album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love. I've never seen them live. I would love to see them live, but there's no way in hell I'm going to the Super Bowl. Uh, right. To watch a rock concert. And there's no uh, way in hell I'm. The other shows. Yeah, and I'm not going to see them with uh, Axel. So. Uh, right. I think uh, our time there has passed. Yeah, I'm. I'm starting to think that the next real opportunity is going to be, you know, hologram style. Um, you know, whenever that day arrives. You are all about the hologram concerts, aren't you? Like, <laughs> I really am. I've only seen one hologram concert, but it wasn't that great. But the the whole concept, I think, is really cool. I think they could um, do some amazing things with holograms. I'm sure they can. I just, uh, if I want to watch. You know, a concert, I'll watch it on TV or, or, you know, or something like I'm not going to go pay to see. a. I don't know. I I haven't seen a hologram concert, so maybe I'm just missing out. Yeah. Well, I guess the positive part of it is that you get great quality music, you know, where whereas, for example, oh, you want to go see you know, a concert um, from a band you really like, but it was recorded in the 80s or something, and the sound just isn't that great, and the video quality isn't that great, and it kind of, you know, taints the experience. Right. Well, Jens, you got uh, a story for us. Yeah, I got a, I got a, uh, I got some news. Let's see. Um, Steve, the living on the prayer guy. Yeah. The living on the prayer guy in the, in the, in the, in the, I'm a cowboy 
<laughs> on a pale horse I ride, that guy Bon Jovi. All right, what's going on with Bon Jovi? His first name's John. Oh, good. Okay, this is breaking news. Yeah. No, wait. That part I think is already known. Oh, okay. We... Known. Yeah. John Bon Jovi. So anyway, um, that's his name, and he is going to do some music collaboration oh. with a member of a royal family. Oh, okay. So, uh, royal family, like, you know, the royal family in England? The royal family in England. Yes, 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 yes. And it's, uh, it's our uh, favorite redhead guy, Prince Harry. Okay. And so that so doesn't... I guess it might be Canadian soon. I don't know. Is he? He's the one uh, fleeing uh, to the uh, to the North America. Is that right? I guess so. I, I don't really keep up on that stuff, yeah. but I guess he gave his family the finger and decided, you know what, fuck you, racist people. I'm going to Canada. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and now he's starting so, a music career with Bon Jovi, huh? Yeah, he's gonna go hang out with Bon Jovi, and uh, the photo of these two together is hilarious. You know, you got Prince Harry. He's like 35. He's got red hair. And you got Bon Jovi, who looks like he's older, and he's kind of got gray hair. <laughs> and um, I, I mean, I didn't know, I, didn't, I know nothing about Prince Harry, but um, I guess he's into the whole music thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. so John Bon Jovi is fifty-seven. So okay. we have a bit of an age difference, generational thing, right? Sure. But um, he said that. Uh, this all happened on the Chris Evans breakfast show with Sky. Um, that they are planning on re-recording his 2019 single "Unbroken" for the Invictus Games, whatever that is. I don't know what Invictus Games are. Sure. Uh, is that like cricket? I don't know. Uh, which is a charity sporting event um, for wounded servicemen. Oh, I feel bad. Okay. Oh, look at you. It's like dying people uh, for wounded servicemen and women um that prince harry created and runs oh i get it so the collaboration is between the musician and the member of the royal family who's doing the uh, charity event okay so prince harry said yes and stuck now to it we're going to do it Bon, I'm sorry, Bon Jovi said that about Prince Harry. Okay, I'm going to hand him a tambourine and see what he's got going. I want to see a video of that. Prince, Redhead Prince Harry and his tambourine. I'm just on the tambourine. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's what that's what people who aren't musical play, right? Like, is the tambourine, they just shake it back and forth. and Shake it back and forth. Yeah, maybe they'll, like, do a funny and start, you know, trying to play tambourine man. Right. <laughs> I'm a tambourine man. Um, all right. So my idea and letter to him at the time was this. I'd like to give you the single. I would love to give you something back to the people you care about. But I want them to be the singers, John Bon Jovi said. Um And uh, there's going to be a whole choir there. Okay. And it's the We Are the World for this particular song. He's got 12 veterans. Um, they'll sing the chorus to the existing track. 
I don't think I've heard this song. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't think it, you know, made it into our sphere. It's, it came out last year, and it's, uh, you know, and he's already recreating it, so uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I feel kind of bad. Like, I, okay, he's already recreating it, and I don't know if I've really heard the original. I don't think we've, you know, experienced anything from Bon Jovi in the past, you know, 15, 20 years, so. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, So yeah, he goes on and says, uh, we'll release it as a single uh, here in time for their games, and hopefully, you know, we'll make enough money to... Um, you know, make it worth it. So, well, I guess we'll uh, see what what turns out from yeah, that. So huh? Sounds like they're gonna have some fun. All right, sounds like fun. Uh, so there's a a new while we're talking about things in uh, England. There's a new nightclub uh, that only plays Oasis songs coming to London. Really? Yes. Uh, that's uh, it's dubbed the world's only nonstop Oasis uh, uh, club night. The event plays back-to-back Oasis songs for four hours and is described a must for Oasis fans. Um, the is night gonna get old fast. You would think so, right? How long is how yeah. long can that last? Um, I mean, no matter how much I love uh, an artist, I probably wouldn't be going to the venue that plays our stuff all the time all that often yeah i i mean i i would think that's something like okay that's that's cute and then never go there again right um yeah and uh so i guess there's some uh, events that are happening at the the club but um there as well as hits from brothers liam and noel gallagher the night uh, also promises to play rare b-sides and live tracks the DJ is going to take requests from those in attendance on the night. And obviously they're not expecting a, a reunion from the, the boys, but uh, it's a chance for fans to get their fix for four hours. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, we talked, in, I think it was even in the last pod uh, about how uh, unlikely a, an Oasis reunion is, uh, is looking though, you know, there's some tug back and forth, right? And this is in London? Yeah, yeah. So this this nightclub is in, yeah. in London. I think one of the cool things about it, though, is that I think it, it would definitely attract people from outside of, you know, the United Kingdom. Like, um, you have Oasis fans all over the world. It might give them an excuse to, hey, you know, let's go travel to London and, and, and hang out. It'll be like a destination thing, and we can go to this, like, Oasis club because they're all really big fans. Yeah, it, it's, so you'll, you'll probably see a lot of tourists there. I think it it seems like it's a one night thing. So this isn't. I don't think this is something you're doing every night or anything like that. Um, what? It's only one night. Yeah, but it's it's happening. Uh, but it looks like it happened in. Uh, it's coming up in March in London, and then there's uh, a night in Manchester, and then a night in Dublin. So it's like the one night club or the three night. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So the story is kind of a little bit misleading in that it's, uh, it makes it feel like, uh, okay, every night you're they're they're playing all uh, Oasis all night, you know? (laughs) Yeah. That's what I thought it was. I was like, Hey, here's a club where you're just going to play this music from the same band for the next 50 years. Yeah. But I don't think that's what's happening. So I think we're, I think we're okay. Okay. All right. Good. Good. Yeah. You got one more story for us. No matter how no matter how great a band is, you're always going to get sick of them. You're going to get sick of them. You're not going to want to want to have that every night. No, for sure. You're be overkill. Yeah. 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 I got a story. What do you got? Um, wait a minute. Before I talk about this red hot chili peppers story, 
um, that also involves Tool and Metallica. Okay. I got to go back to my Prince Harry story. Go back to Prince Harry. Bon Jovi. I just have to talk really quickly about one of the comments to that article that somebody made. Okay, what do you got? Apparently, there's some, there's some strong desire that uh, Prince Harry be front and center and play some cowbell. Okay. Yeah, someone's, someone's asking for them, him to play cowbell. Right. Cowbell, yep. Nice and loud, just like, you know, like a Saturday Night Live style. Yeah, yeah, like uh, Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken, thank that's, you. That's what you're going for. Christopher Walken. Yeah, I know, I know what like you're that. going for. More cowbell, yeah. More cowbell, more cowbell. I don't think anybody can beat Walken. No, that would would be pretty impressive if he uh, pulled out the cowbell. I mean, (laughs) uh, I think he'd have to be in the back of the stage. Wasn't wasn't uh, wasn't he in the back? It wasn't Walken doing it. Walken was like he was the guest host, but it was Will Ferrell, I think, that was actually doing the cowbell. Or Jimmy Fallon. Is, was it Jimmy Fallon or no, it was no. the other guy? Okay, it might have been. Yeah, I think you're right. It might have been Will Ferrell. So Will Ferrell, uh, and it was. I think he was kind of in the back near the drummer or something. Yeah, anyway. yeah, that would be great. Will you, let, will you let me like stop going on a tangent? I will. I will let you get to this uh, last story that you have. Yeah. Okay. Um. So Metallica is supposed to be at this festival, and apparently the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Tool are going to replace Metallica. Okay. Uh, well, I know Metallica fans were probably pretty excited to see uh, see their their boys in Metallica. Yeah. So let's see. So the Red Hot Chili Peppers will be playing their first gig together, united with guitarist Mr. John. Mm-hmm. What's the last name? Mi- Mr. John. <laughs> Fruschiante. Oh, there you go. That sounds great. Did yeah. I that? No, I think you hit it. I, just keep rolling forward. Great job. All right, I'm gonna roll. Here Don't look back. Names. Okay. Um, when they headlined the Sonic Temple Festival, uh, the reunited lineup of the band will be leading the bill for the first night of the festival that will be taking place on May 15th, 16th, 17th in Columbus, Ohio. So they're going to be replacing Metallica, who were set to play two full sets of the festival, but were forced to pull out. Steve, nobody ever likes to pull out. No, no. You want to just stick right in there. Don't you want to just go all the way. Yeah. Pulling out freaking sucks. But Metallica had to do it. They had to pull out. Uh, not voluntarily. They were it, forced. It is out. the safest method. So, you know. Like... Somebody just grabbed them from behind and like uh-huh. pulled out. Okay. And uh, uh, so that frontman James Hetfield can attend a critical recovery event related to his addiction treatment. I think we covered that at least once. Um not too long ago. Yeah, he's been, you know, taking care of himself and doing what he needs to do, which is great. Exactly, but... exactly. So, um, so I'm sure Metallica fans, you know, are both bummed but excited at the same time because they, you know, want all the best for James and all his health. So uh, James Hetfield did also uh, acknowledge that he is still playing Aftershock um, in Sacramento, which is a, a similar thing where there's two days and two completely different Metallica sets. Uh, one each night, right, uh, of the weekend. And he's going to do – I mean, they had a couple of others lined up as well. And those are the only shows that they have, like, all year. But they, mm-hmm. So he's keeping the other uh, shows He's committed that, that they had committed to. But uh, yeah. but he's got to yeah. take care of himself, so. Gotcha. Um, yeah, let's see. So um, 
to conclude, basically, so uh, Metallica was supposed to play two nights. Red Hat Chili Peppers are going to be playing first, and then at the end, it's going to be Tool. Um, it's going to be uh, performing in their in their place. Right. Okay. Well, best of luck to James Hetfield and his recovery, and glad he's doing what he needs to to take care of himself, so he can continue on and uh, to make uh, great music and play live for for his fans. Yeah, and he's awesome. And we, you and I saw him together when we they did. did their acoustic thing. Um, yeah. Last Bridge School Benefit. Yes, exactly. Didn't know it at the time, but, uh, but it ended up being the Last Bridge School Benefit concert. So, yeah, it was um, pretty freaking awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, and so I have one more story. Do you know who it involves? Uh, if it does not involve Mr. Dave Grohl, I'll be shocked. Oh, it does. Uh, well, Do tell. well, Dave Grohl has said that their new record is finished. Um, no yeah, there's a record in the can, uh, and as, uh, he reveals he's also working on a documentary about the days of van touring. We talked last week about their upcoming van tour, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so uh, the band are celebrating their 25th anniversary this year. Uh, it could be possible that, uh, that they'll mark the milestone with a new album in the coming months. So he told the Bill Simmons podcast, uh, we just finished making a record. Some of the songs, sometimes the best ones, happen in 45 minutes. Uh, then, then there's other songs. There's a riff on the new record I've been working on for 25 fucking years. Uh, right? And since the beginning, he's coming back. He's like this thing that's been knacking at him, right? Uh, the, uh -huh. the first time I demoed it was in my basement in Seattle and every record I'm like, let's put it on. So sometimes it's 45 minutes. Sometimes it's 25 years. He also revealed he's working on a documentary about vans and van touring. Uh, and he says the movie is, uh, not so much about really awesome van tour anecdotes. It's more about the drive to do it. Uh, why would anyone give up everything, quit their job, leave home and uh, everything behind just to chase the dream with no guarantee you're ever going to make it? And you starve, you bleed, you're sick, you're pissed, uh, and uh, you get taken to jail and get in fights, but you always make it to the next gig. Um, right. You'd be surprised. Everybody has the same story, and it's absolutely a key to success. If you're just kind of doing it, it's uh, just not going to work out. But if you have this thing where I can't survive unless I do this, that's what you have to do. Uh, and so he says, uh, it's pretty great to hear your heroes go back to those years and talk about there's nothing more in life that I want to do, and then to see their dreams come true. So um, exciting stuff coming from Foo Fighters. And uh, – uh, new album uh, down the road. That's yeah, exciting. I can't wait. Can't wait. Do you have a good feeling about it? Oh, of course. Uh, you know, I, I support the Foo Fighters. I'll, I'll listen to anything they put out. So uh, they are they are good times and a great, great live band. And Dave Grohl is a, a mastermind of his own, uh, own right, right? Yeah. Hopefully we'll uh, have some shows in the area following that album. I hope so. We're not getting a spot on this van tour because it did not happen in their... Uh, um, original tour 25 years ago. So um, hopefully get a chance to see him later in the year. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, Jens, that's our show for today. Uh, so we want to thank Casey for taking the time and being on the program. Um, thank you, Casey. It was a pleasure. Yes, had a great chat with her. And uh, yeah, so we don't have anything lined up right now. So it might be a couple of weeks before we uh, come back. But um, we're going to close it out with uh, one more song from Casey's set at the Hot Monk in Novato. This is a cover song, actually, uh, of Etta James' At Last.
And uh, yeah, so good for memory, Anna James. Yeah, yeah, she had a good memory, or I did. You, uh, she probably oh. did too, but okay. you definitely. Yes, okay, we both have yeah, great I, memories. I struggled there for a second. I was like, James, James, yeah. James, James Hetfield. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, to James Hetfield. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Well, for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, that's Jen Schiphol, and that is Steve Jones. We will catch you next time. Later. Oh